right, as we turn our attention now uh, to uh, the scripture reading this morning, uh, before we jump into the scripture reading itself, I want to talk to our young ones. We do this every, uh, every Sunday morning before we jump into the text. Uh, young ones, if I could have your attention, I want to tell you what this passage is going to be about, and then I want to tell you what the, the sermon is going to be about. <clears throat> in Romans, we're in Romans 7, right? And in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about how we, how a Christian, like how you, how, uh, how a person relates to the law, like the Ten Commandments. Think like Ten Commandments. Uh, and right. But not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. This is Paul talking. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, Paul, he's looking at the law, and he's not saying... Oh my gosh, the law tells me what to do. And he doesn't mean like the law is bad because he keeps screwing up. He means the law shows him, it shows all of us what good is and what bad is and that the law can't make us good. The law can't change us. And it, and it made me something. Story this week, <laughs> okay, like 100 years ago when I was in kindergarten, uh, it, uh, there was this story that was read. It was called, uh, it's called Frost Toad. Toad makes a ton of cookies. He loves to bake, so he makes a ton of cookies, and he goes over to Frog's house, and they start eating all these cookies, and they're eating cookies and eating cookies, and then they realize, oh my goodness, we've got to stop, or we're going to be so sick. But they can't stop. They're saying, this like, oh man, yeah, we really got to stop. Oh, and they eat one more, eat one more. Frog said, we need willpower. And Toad says, wait, what's willpower? And Frog says, well, willpower, they're doing this as they're eating cookies. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do. And then Toad said, you mean like trying hard not to eat all these cookies? And Frog said, right. <clears throat> so what they do is willpower. They take all the cookies and they put it in a box. But then they say, yeah, but we can still get in the box. So they're like, okay. So they tie string all around the box. And they're like, yeah, but we can still untie the string and get into the box. And they're like, okay. So they take the box with the string and they put it up on a shelf way, way up high with a ladder. And then they're like, yeah, but we can still get on that ladder and still get to the box. <clears throat> so they get the box and they run outside and they tear the box open and they give all the cookies to the birds. <clears throat> all the birds come and they take away the cookies. Uh, and, now, and now Toad says, very sadly, he says, now we have no more cookies to eat. And Frog said, yes, but we have lots and lots of willpower. And Frog said, you keep it. I'm going home to bake a cake. <clears throat> and I heard that when I was little, and, I was, and it changed my life, because I was like, willpower. I remember this as I was a kindergarten. I was like, willpower. That's what I need to be a good person. And I totally missed the point of the book. Like, it, but that's, and y'all, kids, young ones, that's what we do with God's law. Like, God's law says, like, oh, you keep messing up. Oh, you're not good enough. And, and we, see, we hear that, we look at the law, we hear that, and we're like, I gotta be better, I gotta be better, I gotta do good, I gotta be better. And we, we look at the rules like they're going to make us better, like they're going to change us and make us better so God will love us more. And y'all, you're gonna, you're gonna say things like this. What if I keep messing up? What if I keep messing up? What if I do something bad? Little ones, I'm telling you right now, you are going to keep messing up. You are going to keep doing bad things. That is true. But guess who overcame all of that? The stuff you did in the past and the bad stuff you're going to do in the future. All of it has been overcome. All of it has been paid for by Jesus. It's Jesus who has saved you from beginning to the end. 
It's not you start with Jesus and then I've got to be really, 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 really good. That's not how we change. I know you want to change. I want to change too. Do you know how we change? It's not by be better, be better, be better, be better. It is simply by faith in Jesus. This is this thing of you were saved by faith in Jesus, and now you will be changed by that same faith in Jesus. So young ones, as you are looking at yourself and you're saying, I just don't think I'm good enough and I want to be better, okay, then look to Jesus with faith. That will change you. And how do you do that stuff? We're going to learn more about that next week. But by doing this stuff, by worshiping, praying to him, reading his Bible, that is looking to Jesus, and that stuff really, really does change you. With that, we're going to be jumping into Romans 7 together. We're actually going to read one verse from Romans 6.14, where he started this conversation, and then jump into Romans 7, and we're doing the second half of Romans 7. This is one of the most argued over passages in the New Testament. Everybody loves to argue over this thing. Uh, What is Paul saying in Romans 7? We've actually taken this in two parts. This is part two this morning. If you missed last Sunday, I so encourage you to go and listen to that sermon because that will help even more to make sense of what we're about to do now. Uh, and, And last, most important, what is going to help us understand what Paul is saying in Romans 7 is keeping the main point the main point. And the main point of Romans 7 is all about the law of God. With that, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in Romans 6, verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And then verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The word of the Lord. 
Please be seated. All right, given what Paul says here, there's a genuine question. What kind of person is speaking here? Which has led to a long, genuine debate throughout church history. One of the most debated passages in the New Testament is right here. Because is Paul speaking as a Christian, or is he speaking as an unbeliever? Like, is he saying, uh, you know, hypothetically, yeah, this is me as a Christian. Hypothetically, this is me as an unbeliever. This is what it's like. Uh, you know, questions on both, whichever side you're going to take, raises questions. Uh, because, and, and so these two options come with options like, you know, okay, is Paul describing a Gentile unbeliever? Or is he describing an Old Testament Jewish unbeliever, you know, someone who's really not of the faith? Or is he talking about an Old Testament Jewish believer, maybe one who doesn't have, you know, the new covenant yet and Jesus hasn't come yet? Or, or is he talking about a Christian, uh, maybe a Christian who has fallen away from the faith, you know, he's, he's backslidden or, or an, is he talking about a new, maybe this is a new Christian convert who doesn't really get the faith yet. Or is this what a really mature Christian sounds like? So you, can go, you can go all these different ways. Okay, in the debate, there's also another side. It's like a three-side. Who is the person speaking here? Like, who is the I Paul is describing? But that's the wrong question. The question in Romans 7 is, what about the law? What is the role of the law? What does the law have to do with me, you, as an individual? Uh, as, a, as a covenant community and as an individual. The, the, the law appears 23 times in Romans 7, 23 times, times in this chapter. It's law, it's law, this is talking about the law of God. In Romans 7, 7 to 13, the passage we dealt with last Sunday, in verses 14 to 25, Paul shifts to describe the relationship of the law to the individual. And I think, if we were to ask Paul, I think he would say the individual that he's describing is himself a regular christian this is this is for paul this is a description of every christian and the law the view of the law in that day amongst paul's people amongst the jews was that the law was given at mount sinai to moses it was given for the good of god's people so that, that was also the common view in the early church it is still a common view in the church today that God gave the law on Mount Sinai to Moses for the good of the com covenant community, for the good of the old covenant community and the good of the new covenant community, you know, for, God, for the good of God's Old Testament people and for the good of God's New Testament people. As in, like, here is the law, and if you obey the law, you will be blessed. The common view is that's a good arrangement for God's people. Paul says he used to hold that common view until he realized how wrong it is. In Romans 7, Paul says we need to be delivered from God's law. Sin is a problem for God's people, and God's law is a problem for God's people. So in Romans 7, uh, 7 to 13, the passage from last time, he says that the law given him out Sinai, it cannot save God's people. And now here in 7, verses 14 to 25, Paul says, and the law also cannot change God's people. It can't save God's people, and it can't change God's people. So while, while Paul has already said that the law reveals, the law reveal God, it reveals uh, God's holy, uh, perfect will and standard of perfection. And it exposes, therefore, our sin and that we do not meet God's standard. 
and the law is powerless to fix us. Now, some in the church, they, they want to say, they mean well and they want to say that the law is a means of grace. That, that once you are a Christian and you have the Spirit, uh, that the law becomes one of the means of grace that God uses to restrain our, our, our corruption, mortify the flesh, progressively make us more holy. Uh, the threats, the curses of the law are there to goad us on and help us along the Christian life. Okay, this is, what, this is not what we would call legalism. That's justification by the law. This is what uh, theologians call nomism of sanctification by the law. You know, remember, in, here in Romans 7, 18 and 19, remember that this is all about the law. Uh, and Paul says, looking at the individual believer, he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He is telling us the law cannot sanctify me. The law cannot sanctify you. That does not that does not mean, though, that the law is bad. Verse 16, Paul says, for the fourth time in this chapter, the law is good. The issue is not about obeying the will of God. Let's just be really clear about this. You are supposed to obey the will of God. Jesus wants you to obey the will of God. Jesus wants you to obey his will. Jesus gives tons of commandments in the New Covenant. And, and the irony is, we think the Old Testament law is strict. But this is what Jesus says. You've heard it said in, in the old Mosaic law. He said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Old Mosaic law, Jesus says, it says, do not commit adultery. I say whoever looks at someone with lust in their heart has committed adultery. The Mosaic law says love your neighbor. Jesus says, I say love your neighbor and love your enemy. I mean, the heart, the spirit of mankind is exposed, says Jesus, and here says Paul. Uh, thus, says Paul, verse 14, the law is spiritual. The New Testament law, it's even bigger and more perfect of a standard than the Mosaic law. So, the law is spiritual, but then Paul says, right after that, the law is good, the law is spiritual. Right after that, Paul says, but I am of the flesh. So the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. And we want to ask, ooh, can a Christian say that? Well, Paul has said that kind of stuff before. In an earlier letter to the Corinthians, Paul said to members in the church, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 3, he says that they are infants in Christ. That yes, they are new to the faith. But he, he feels like, I, I can't, he says, I can't address you as spiritual people. I got to address you as people of the flesh. And Paul recognizes that while he is free from the dominion of sin, he's freed from the power of sin, he's talked about that in Romans 6, sin uh, no longer is the power reigning over him. Uh, he's said that, and what he's about to say in Romans 8, which is where we want to hurry up and get to, uh, being in Romans 7, what he says in Romans 8 is that he is, Paul is in the Spirit, and he says he is not in the flesh. But what he's saying here is, He's not in the flesh, but the flesh is still in him. Verse 18, nothing good dwells in his flesh. Verse 25, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is another way of saying that Jesus has overcome the penalty of sin. He's overcome the power of sin, but sin is still present in the Christian. 
sin does not have dominion over the Christian, but as Paul says right here, sin still indwells the Christian. You say, okay, but then Paul adds, I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. Can a Christian say he's sold under sin? Paul just said in Romans 6, 17 and 18, thank God you who were once slaves of sin have been set free from sin. So, hey, wait, wait, so how can you say you're sold under sin? Well, both predicates here, I am of the flesh, sold under sin, they are both in contrast to what he just said, the law is spiritual. Okay, so which means those two predicates of the flesh sold under sin they explain each other paul is not saying that he actively he's not saying i actively and wholeheartedly just give myself to sin he's not saying he willingly sells himself into sin the greek here the translation got it right the greek here is in the passive tense so here's paul and he he's rebuking himself for his sin he's rebuking himself for the sin that he commits and he laments his being carried away captive by it. Like he's still sinning day to day. Uh, this is why Paul in one of his, this is going to be a struggle to the end of, uh, Paul in one of his last letters to Timothy, he says, I am the chief of sinners. As in just because Paul has become a Christian does not mean that the sin that remains in him has transformed into something good. The law shows him his sinfulness. But as he keeps looking at the law, he realizes that law will not change him. Uh, a favorite story of mine is Robert Louis Stevenson's strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, I commend this to you wholeheartedly. It's a really short book, too. Uh, the main character, and I'm actually not going to spoil this story for you, uh, but uh, the main character of Dr. Jekyll, he has spent his life trying to repress his evil urges, and he feels, he feels like there's a war raging inside of him between good and evil. So, being a doctor, this is what doctors can do. Dr. Jekyll, Jekyll develops a potion, a potion that he hopes will hide this evil within him so that it never comes out. Uh, but it has the reverse effect. Uh, and instead, the potion does not fix and hide the evil. It exposes the hidden to a evil nature. Uh, who Jekyll names Edward Hyde. And Hyde is his perfect name uh, because this person, he is physically hideous, uh, a hideous creature, monster. He, he's, and he's far more evil. Uh, Dr. Jekyll never realized what evil was inside of him. Not, not really, not truly. So Dr. Jekyll says, I knew myself at, that, at the first breath of this new life to be more wicked, tenfold more wicked than I had thought. And the thought braced and delighted me like wine. This being, Edward Hyde, was inherently villainous. His every act and thought centered on self. And the so what for us? Like the so what for us is that's how we can think of the Christian life. Like we, we take the law and with an enormous exercise of willpower, we apply the moral law to our bad nature, to the, to the bad that's in us. And, and we, we try to wipe out Edward Hyde with our Dr. Jekyll. Uh, we try to erase our hide by being incredibly Jekyll. We try to wipe out the bad by being incredibly good and obedient. Uh, and and we, to do that, we, our potion is the law. We look to the law to do this thing. 
And Paul says, if that's what he realizes this about himself, if you just apply the law of God to your life to overcome your hideousness, it's just going to make you more hideous. You'll just end up growing uh, and gratifying all these terrible things that are in your heart. Here's another so what for us. Uh, the law is not going to change you, and you're never, ever going to fix someone else with the law. You're not going to fix your parents. You're not going to fix your siblings or your son or your daughter with the law. You will not fix your spouse with the law. Uh, you'll not fix your marriage. You will not fix your friendships. You will not fix your friends with the law. You'll kill people with the law. If all you say to people, old or young, is do this, don't do this, stop doing this, you're killing them. You're not changing them. You're not saving them. I mean, think about this. I, like, just for an example, how do parents usually, not always, usually go to teach kids to be honest and not lie? Well, first, we play on fear. You know, we'll say something like, don't lie or you'll get caught. Uh, your teacher will catch you, the police will catch you, God will catch you, and worse, of all, I'll catch you. Uh, and, and crime doesn't pay. Your sins will find you out. And then, and then we play on their pride. We play on our kids' pride. You know, tell the truth because you don't want to be like, you know, those liars. You don't want to be like Timmy. Uh, get your kids to be more moral by getting them to, you know, hate a certain kind of people. Liars. Uh, and then the last stand, uh, and then you really, really up it up um, <clears throat> with some with some good old shame. Tell the truth, or you're not going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, be good, or you're just going to end up hating yourself. Uh, you know, and then if they do get caught, more shame. Like, you liar. How can you respect yourself? Uh, and, you know, you may be... Well, yeah, that's parenting. Um, okay, so when I hear Jax and Peyton and Maisie fighting in the next room, I, I, what I do is I, I raise my voice to the necessary volume, uh, because I can't leave my work, uh, and, and I say uh, as clearly and threateningly as I can, like, you better be kind to each other. You better, or you're in big trouble. And then I go back to praying and reading the Bible and writing this sermon. Uh, listen, I can, throw, I can throw the law at my kids like all I want. It's not going to change them. And I keep doing it. Like, it'll make that, what it will do is make them more fearful and make them more prideful. And here's the, we can also make this mistake with the New Testament. We can make this mistake with Jesus. Like you can take people to Jesus and you can kill people with Jesus. Because Jesus said things like, do this and don't do this. And you can tell people and you can tell yourself, just be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is your example. You need to be more forgiving like Jesus. You need to be more meek like Jesus. If that's all you tell people, you're killing them. And let's say this. We're ending right now. We're, but I'm going to end with this. Paul is not saying everything that there is to say about the Christian. He, he, this is not you. I mean, we have heard Paul Romans 5 and Romans 6 talk about the glories of justification and being freed from the penalty and the power of sin. Just wait till we get to Romans 8 next Sunday. Oh my gosh, when he sings the praises and the awesomeness of, of the work that God is doing in us by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's not telling us everything there is to tell us about the life of the Christian, but he is telling us something important right here as a Christian. The law cannot justify a sinner. The law, sorry, let me put it this way. The law that cannot 
justify a sinner cannot sanctify a saint. Sinclair Ferguson, that doesn't sound like me. That's him. Uh, The law that cannot justify a sinner cannot sanctify a saint. The law doesn't have the power to change you for the better now that you're a Christian. The law doesn't have any more power to change you now as a Christian than it did before you were a Christian. And if you were, if we were to ask Paul, I do think he'd say, I'm talking about me uh, as a regular Christian, but then I do think he'd say, but you know what? Whatever. The main point is still the main point. You're a new Christian, you're an old Christian. You're a regular Christian, you're not a Christian. The point remains. The law will not change you. The law has no power to make you better, whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. And we are supposed to get to that point with Paul saying, wretched thing that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But you don't stop there. Paul, you keep going with Paul because here is Paul making this turn now, this glorious turn, turning from relying on the law to turning to the one the law is meant to point you to, to point you to the one you are supposed to rely on, to point you to the blessed man, the holy man, the righteous man who fulfilled the law of God to save you completely. Wretched thing that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Loved ones, you begin the Christian life by faith in Jesus, and you have to continue the Christian life by faith in Jesus. The gospel is the power of salvation from beginning to end, all of it, for those who believe in Jesus. Look to him with faith, and he will change you too. Let's pray. Father, we, we, thank, we really do thank you for Romans 7. It is a hard one. Uh, and Lord, it is a convicting one. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for it. We're thankful uh, to hear that this Christian life is a struggle. Uh, but to know, Lord, that, uh, uh, that what the law is powerless to do, Jesus does. Father, we, we pray that today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day that we would not take our eyes off of Jesus, the eyes of our faith, that we would keep looking to him through the simple means of grace that you have given us, through prayer, through your word, through fellowship, Lord, through your sacraments, Lord, that we would keep looking to Jesus with faith, knowing that he is with us right now, that what he started, he will finish. Uh, Father, we pray for that kind of faith. We pray that you would bless us to hold out that same gospel to one another and that we would take it out into the world. There is no other good news. There is no other gospel that will save. There is no other gospel that will sanctify. Help us to look to Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.